Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Chris Rosini, our co-host. Chris, welcome to the program. Great to be with you again, Dr. Paul. Very good. And uh, Chris, we're fortunate today to have a special guest. He's going to be with us uh, uh, for the program. And uh, many of our people in our audience know his name, and I will repeat it, and, and that is Jack Spierko, and he has the Survival Podcast. He's been doing it for 14 years, and he's still surviving, so he must have a good report. So uh, I would say that, uh, Jack, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me today, Dr. Paul. It's a big honor to be on. Very, very good. And and Chris, go ahead and say hello to Jack, and let's go to, on with the discussion. Yeah, Jack, it's great having you on the show. And, uh, you know, one of the big reasons we invited you on is we live in uh, unusual times, especially for Americans. Uh, we're not quite used to uh, what we're going through. And, uh, you know, on this show, we often talk about the marriage of big government and big corporations, how they work hand in hand with one another. It was very obvious during the COVID tyranny that we experienced. And even most recently, we've reached a point in this country where baby formula is being shipped, not from America, out to, you know, poorer countries where babies need to, you know, mothers need to feed their babies, but the baby formula is being imported in via the military so that American mothers can feed their babies. Obviously, we're on a bad path in this country. Uh, you know, we wanted to ask you first, you know, you came up back in 2008 with the term modern survivalism. Now, what does that mean and why did you come up with it? So having kind of a background in marketing, if I was going to put together a podcast, I wanted to make sure that uh, I had something to kind of anchor on. And so I wanted something that was original. So I went on Google and put in modern survivalism with quotes around it. Nothing came up. And I did the same with modern survival, modern survivalist. It's like, okay, I'm going to anchor on this. And what I mean by it is we don't turn away from all of the technology we have. We don't uh, run away and hide in a bunker somewhere. But we also take those primitive skills, those wilderness skills, those hard skills that our, our grandparents knew well. And we, we kind of marry that all together. And you're right with the turmoil that's going on. I think we need this now more than ever. Uh, the tagline of my show is like the clunkiest, worst tagline ever, but it says what it is. And it's, you know, helping you live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And I've done this for a long time. And I built a good following, but there was also always the contention of, you know, it's, it's craziness or whatever. Uh, most of those people weren't listeners anyway. But it was amazing the way things changed just a few years ago and how many, wow, you were right, emails that I got. It's, uh, it, it, is, it is difficult times, and I don't think they're going to get necessarily easier. I think we're in a position where we're, what's difficult is going to move around. You mentioned formula right now. That's a problem. I think it's going to be everything in a couple of months with the diesel reserves. And, and so we need to be adaptable and non-brittle in our, in our lives. And so what I really do is lifestyle design, but uh, modern survival is a market's a little bit better, I guess. Jack, um, your, your statement says also that you specialize in self-sufficiency, self-reliance and personal liberty. That's all, you know, very good stuff. And uh, of course, that's what we need more of. And we're getting less of it all the time because it's been taken over by the authoritarians who believe that the people themselves don't have the ability, desire or understanding on how to take care of themselves. But it's very uh, destructive. And, you know, if uh, people follow what you're talking about and uh, what we're interested in is one else that they gain is self-respect. 
And I think that sometimes uh, people don't realize that might be one of the bigger issues because it's a lack of self-respect that causes people to almost be self-destructive. Uh, they, they're, they're like a masochist. And you, if you look at our society, why are they doing these, these dumb things? Some have ulterior motives and some have guilt about it. You know, white guilt and all these things. They, they listen to that and they don't have the confidence. I've always believed that this um, self-respect and confidence that I like to see uh, comes from productivity in a simple way or in a big way, that we're all meant to be productive at all different levels. And when we do something, like you've done, made a, have a letter here for 14 years, you've been productive, you've had goals, and I'm sure you feel good about it. But uh, I think being productive is so important, and uh, the idea of self-respect is something that ultimately, that is one benefit. If we're able to take care of ourselves, we will gain self-respect. So I don't remember who said this, but somebody said something to the effect of that sovereignty cannot be given, it can only be taken, it can only be claimed, it can only be asserted. And I think that what you're talking about is asserting that personal sovereignty, to have that personal liberty. And it does come by being productive in a, in a large number of ways. Uh, I'm very, you know, very satisfied with the fact that today I'll record episode 3100 of my <laughs> podcast. I mean, that's... That's a long track record. I don't know if there's any other podcast out there that's got that continuous track record. But what I'm I'm more encouraged by is the real payday that comes from that or the emails. I started a business. I planted a garden. I'm feeding my family. I'm prepared. We had a storm and we walked through it instead of being overrun by it. I've even had emails from people that say things like, you know, you had the tremendous personal loss of like a house burning down, but they had a plan for that so they were able to rebuild their life much quicker those are all things that are about being productive and I, I completely agree with you that people that have a purpose in their life have a tendency to assert that personal sovereignty by claiming it by taking it not by asking one of the most powerful things that the people of this country have lost is the ability to say no um, when all this COVID nonsense started I just didn't participate the first week that it really hit, I had a doctor on that's part of my expert panel, and we talked about the things that you could do if you were worried about it. And the next day, I had an investment advisor on to talk about how you could capitalize on it. The next day, I had an entrepreneurial expert on to talk about the opportunities that were going to come from it. In other words, we were going to build right in the middle of the bloodshed. Now, we're, we're in the middle of economic bloodshed and supply chain bloodshed, and I'm telling people the same thing. Build now. Uh, as a student of history, I look back at some of the most iconic brands, some of the greatest success stories in our country came from the Great Depression era where people were like, I don't care that things are bad, I'm going to build anyway. So when you talk about survivalism, people generally think you're talking doom and gloom. I, I think that being non-brittle is one of the most exciting and productive things a human can build into their lives, and that's what we teach. Very good. Chris? That's excellent, Jack. And, you know, if people visit your site, the survivalpodcast.com, they'll see that it is there's just a plethora of information on localism, on prepping, on survival skills. But, you know, these things, these terms, they're usually they usually get snubbed as oh, tinfoil hat uh, types of people are interested in these things. But, you know, over these last several years, we have seen just how connected big corporations are with the state, especially the scariest collaboration, in my view, was this attempted implementation of vaccine passports. 
I mean, they were really hitting home with that. Fortunately, uh, that was walked back for the time being. But I think a lot of people, I hope, have come to realize, wow, you know, we're really dependent on these big mega multinational corporations, and they're now using the leverage of the state and vice versa to, you know, try to control us. So localism prepping and survivalism are at any, you know, they're very important, I think, in this time. Have you seen a change in attitudes? I've seen a massive change in attitudes, and I, I just recently said that what you many of you people need to do is go out and find that person in your family or your friend circle that you've been calling a conspiracy theory up till now, a theorist up till now, and hug their neck, thank them for telling you, and ask them what comes next, because we have entered that world. But yeah, I've seen a, a massive paradigm shift in the type of people participating in this overall movement from, you know, big L libertarian party members to small L libertarian people in their lifestyle, the full on anarchism. I, I classify myself as an anarchist uh, in all those communities. And then in the, the, the active communities, I run a workshop at my home every year. Uh, we, we cap it at about 65 attendees because of just spatial limitations. But the demographic of that has shifted over the years to uh, it started out, it was more bushcraft type people and stuff like that. People who were big into permaculture, and that's still there. But now we have professional engineers, we have lawyers, we have doctors showing up to hang out for a week in my garage. I was just part of an event called Exit and Build put on by John Bush. Amazing event. There were over 500 people in live attendance and 20,000 people on the live stream. And again, we're talking people that were from small farmers and, you know, multi-generational small farmers in Texas. This was down in Bastrop to people that were were high level professionals and everything in between. And the entire focus was getting out of the cities, establishing land and building local communities, whether that was kind of a looser community of just people that kind of work in a freedom cell model or whether that was a planned intentional community didn't really matter. And I have seen that grow exponentially. I think that homesteading is the new counterculture. And I, I think that, that, that freedom is, is, is the thing that unites that counterculture that we have started to realize our grandparents weren't stupid. Our grandparents were really smart people. And when they scoffed as our parents went out and squandered short term wealth for short long term wealth for short term gain, and we were like, who's right here? I think, you know, Gen X has kind of figured out that grandpa and great grandpa were right. And we're, we're following that course. And I've seen an incredible inflow. And again, it's not the numbers. The numbers are, you know, that happens. There's cycles in any kind of demographic or cohort. Um, it's, it's the diversity of the inflow. It's all, it's all sexes. It's all races. It's all sexual preferences. I mean, it's, it's, all the people that you would think that would be put off by the term survivalism are on a just a constant inflow at this point. You know, everybody gets influenced by the prevailing propaganda, and that's been uh, the biggest enemy. Uh, but I still give a lot of credit to the people who do get exposed. And sometimes I'm sure you get disappointed by the lack of enthusiasm. But, but I still see a lot of people, they get a little information, all of a sudden they can, they can change and, and see the difference, especially when the world's falling apart. You guys better start challenging this. Look at what's happening to you. The, uh, the authoritarians depend on, uh, you know, submissiveness and also compliance. And we certainly saw that 
that for COVID. And it, it, that, that became like a contagious disease. That was more infectious than any virus ever could be. And that is the authoritarian that existed. You know, um, there's a saying that I've used quite frequently uh, that truth is treason in an empire of lies. So when when people are telling uh, the truth, uh, the truth gets buried because it's a real enemy to this system that we're trying to stop. So we live in an age, and you're involved in it already, Jack, in trying to seek the truth and get it out there and give people an option. And uh, but the self the self reliance is the the enemy of truth because if you become self-reliant you don't have to listen to all this stuff that you have to be obedient to the government the government will take care of you from cradle to grave so I think it's very very important that uh, people you, you know have sources to gain the truth I think that's the biggest problem we have today and I was just wondering what your comments on that and everybody I'm sure gets frustrated with this no no matter how much we think we're involved in finding these solutions but uh, where, where do we send people how do we get them interested I think it's individual but there's also sources out there if you want to find uh, uh, we spend a lot of time on foreign policy well, so we're seeking people that we can trust and I think that's important also in economics well, you know, one of the things I've done a lot on in episodes over the years is not telling people what to think, but how to think, how to analyze something and determine what they choose to believe after hearing both sides. And you're going to have to go out and seek the counter voice. Uh, you mentioned foreign policy. One of the guys I think is doing incredible work right now. I don't know if you're aware of him. His name's Patrick Lancaster. Uh, he's embedded with with Russian troops in the conflict in Ukraine, but he's been there for eight years. Uh, reporting on that war and I'm not taking a side on that or, or anything other than I don't think we need to be involved in it but at least the man standing in the middle of the actual battle telling you what's actually happening from his vantage point our media is not doing that but I've what I've noticed about people like Patrick Lancaster and others in that space is they always say don't believe me listen to what I'm saying educate yourself and go listen to the other side and draw your conclusion and one of the pieces of advice that I've given people over the years is to always put at least 1% more trust in the people that tell you that than the people that tell you not to listen to anybody else. Right. Uh, but the reality is I'm more encouraged right now than I've been in my entire life as I see people begin to realize that we are going to have to assert our sovereignty and do this on our own. And I think people are waking up to the concept of time preference. And I think what's really jacked us up, and it goes straight to our monetary system, is a short-term versus a long-term time preference. And all the things we're talking about, whether it's you know uh, ensuring your wealth with gold, uh, I'm a big Bitcoin maximalist, so moving into the Bitcoin world about a capped currency and long-term uh, guarantee, uh, you can't inflate it, you can't seize it. But even things like homesteading and things like that, these are all things that move the pro time preference out. The man who plants, uh, you know, salad is doing a good thing, but he's also thinking about what's going to happen in the next 30 days. The man that plants a tree is thinking about his great grandchildren. And if we are going to do this, the, the primary thing that we need to do is change our time preference. And that's with economics. That's with how we manage our households. That's how we manage our business. 
I, I discovered this a long time ago before I was even podcasting. So it's you know, probably 20 years. I was in uh, Manhattan and I'm, I'm, I'm going through all these amazing places. I, I worked there at the time. Um, and I, I looked at some of the churches and the architecture and I looked at the sculptures on the outside of them and I stood there with awe. And I, I realized in that moment that we would never build that today. And the time that they built that, gold was money. And when you had a hard currency, you were thinking five, six, seven generations into the future. When you're sitting here with this fiat currency that we have, you're thinking about right now, today, what can I get now? You're, a long time preference today is 90 days. You can't build a multi-generational society thinking a quarter ahead. You have to be thinking about the grandchildren and great-grandchildren you'll never even know. And it makes me think of a Greek proverb that a society grows great uh, when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. Right. Uh, Chris? And that's what we need to be doing. Yeah, I have uh, one more question, Dr. Paul. Uh, that was excellent, uh, Jack, right, uh, right on the money. Uh, the last question I wanted to ask you was uh, about American exceptionalism, and there's several forms of it. There's the imperial neocon, we're going to remake the world in our image, but there's also an American exceptionalism, I think, for the average person where they may believe that because they won the lottery, they were born in America, simply because they live on this landmass, that, you know, you're good, we're, we're fine, everything's always going to be fine here. Uh, but, you know, I, I believe that the America that produced all of the, you know, earth-shattering wealth was a result of the ideas, uh, the ideas of liberty. And if you take those ideas of liberty away, and today we have the ironically, the biggest government to ever exist on the face of the earth. If you take the ideas of liberty away, we are just people just like everyone else in the world, and we can suffer the consequences uh, that everyone else, you know, we live under the same economic laws as everyone else. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? So back when I was a kid, I remember my father talking to me like I wasn't a kid. That was one of the, the the, the things he did really well was stretching you. And I remember though, sometimes I would think, geez, I don't, I don't know what, you know, the old man's talking about here. And he would say that the government that starts out the smallest will actually become the largest because the limited power they have will result in tremendous prosperity for the people. But then over the years, they'll use one power to make another power and they'll use those two powers to make two more powers and they'll keep increasing their power and they'll have lots of money to fund the things that they want to do and i think that's the exact mess that we're in in spite of that there is still an exceptional component to that which is the nation of of, of america the united states right and that is our form of government in a republic and the federal government has done everything they can to eliminate that exceptionalism but we saw it it was revealed like many things were when the COVID pandemic hit and all these crazy lockdowns started. My life in Texas did not change. Now there was some lockdowns and stuff, but I just ignored it. I just went on with my life. But then the rest of the state kind of like went on with their life mostly 60 days into it because our governor woke up, found his spine and decided we're not doing this and not participating and, and, and let the state go back to normal. And friends of mine that I grew up in Pennsylvania uh, and Florida, people in Florida, their life was a lot like mine. People that I, I had that I grew up with in Pennsylvania, they, they their lives were destroyed. And people in you know California, New York, it was worse. And I realized it wasn't just that their lives were worse. They were more afraid. They had been pushed to fear. 
But there were a lot of them that said, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. And people that were so proud of living in New York, I remember getting emails, I'm moving to Florida, I'm moving to Texas, I'm moving to, you know, some other state. And that is the remnant of the true exceptionalism that was this country, that we were to be laboratories of liberty. And by having the ability to choose the jurisdiction in which you resided and did business in, that meant that there was a check on stupidity and a check on insanity and a, a, a check on, on financial ignorance. And that if a, if a state did poorly enough in those areas and other areas, people would leave and take their wealth, their time, their talent, their businesses, their families with them. And if you want to restore that, then people need to get some damn self-respect. And they need to understand that when it comes to making the hard decision of moving, there are people that risk being shot by a machine gun to get over the Berlin Wall, okay? And we live in a republic where you can rent a U-Haul and move and make some new friends and establish a new business. And it may be hard, but if you don't understand that the place you're living is not worthy of the honor of your presence, it's over. And if we don't figure that out right now, we're going to look like Europe. And I just talked about this yesterday. I'm not putting anybody down in Europe, but I feel like Europe is lost. When I listen to Europeans who are supposedly pro-liberty Europeans, I'm like, these guys are left of the left here. And it's due to something that I, I, this is going to be a hard thing for people to hear. I believe that our government and our corporatocracy and our oligarchy has been exceptional at doing one real thing, domesticating human beings. We have been domesticated like an animal. And the way you domesticate an animal is you take it from its mother and father at birth and you raise it as its parents and you feed it and you care for it. You put it by and you take a wild pig and put it in a pig pen. And by the time it's one generation old and you fed it from a bottle as a baby, it will let you take its children. And that's where we're headed. So I know Dr. Paul's big on this too. My final message for all, take your children away from the state's school system. <laughs> I am right now, my wife and I, we homeschool our grandchildren. I wish I would have known this when my son was, was in school. This is the number one thing you can do to restore American exceptionalism is make Americans exceptional again, and then America might be as well. Very, very good, Jack. I want to follow up on a statement that you made about the significance of people paying attention at one time and still to some degree about the beautiful, wonderful architecture of Christian churches throughout Europe, uh, representing an age that doesn't exist right now. Uh, but Murray Rothbard was a good friend, and uh, he, he, he claimed he was an avowed atheist, but he never convinced me that he really was. But anyway, he, uh, one of his hobbies was when he, he would travel and go to Europe, and he was an expert on a lot of things. But one thing was, he was an expert on Christian architecture of the churches. So that sort of was a thought that came to my mind when you were emphasizing the, the significance that uh, why these churches might have been built at that particular time. But, you know, still back to the subject of seeking truth, which I think is uh, a, a lifetime pursuit for most of us, and I think it should be. But uh, the, uh, uh, you know, f figuring out, you know, I uh, spoke out a lot during the presidential campaign when I would get significant crowds of, of young people, and uh, I was very much encouraged by, by young people coming out. But I remember one time there was a bit of a discussion in the debate about the Constitution. I, I was able to give my 60 seconds and a few others, you know, paid lip service 
you know, to the same idea, yes, we have to be followers of the Constitution, this sort of thing. But afterwards, there was a group of young people came up to me, and they wanted to ask me a question. And, and uh, they, they wanted to ask me, you, you know, about the significance of the Constitution. And I asked, I asked them, I said, uh, why, uh, why, why do you come to me? There were A, B, and C. They said the same thing. And I said, you could ask them these questions. He says, but we didn't believe them. And I thought, well, there's a certain thing about truth. You know, it, it is not that hard to figure out. And uh, for, for, the, for that reason, I think I always want to encourage people to seek the truth. And, uh, and I think uh, it's, it would be a much better world if, if we could do that because you, we could seek out the good and the evil, the bad and good and all the alternatives, dependency on governments versus self-reliance, all of these things. Go ahead, Jack. We'll, uh, we're going to finish up with your answer, uh, but go ahead and make some comments now. And, and, and make sure you give us a way of, for our viewers to uh, follow you and get your letter. Yeah, um, I think what you're really talking about there is optimism. And this is one of the things I've always found in the Constitution. And this is strange, I think, for some people here in Anarchists say, it's one of the most optimistic documents that I've ever seen in my life. And it, it probably is the most optimistic because it was formed at a time when this nation was far from perfect. And a lot of people like to kick that now. However, it made... It, it, it took what was ca capable of being done at the time, and it made it work. And it, in, it, to me, it initiated a process that we were going to fix a lot of those problems into the future. And what our, our founders did was they handed future generations a mechanism by which to fix the things they were unable to fix themselves. Versus what our politicians do now is kick the problem down the road with no mechanism for repair. That, that's why you see things like these amazing uh, architectures, because the people that built them were optimistic about the future. If you look at, I remember Michael Saylor was talking about this. If you go to like where Notre Dame Cathedral is, there's literally people out there with little carts that are little vendors that the, 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 the vending space, the, the permit or whatever they do there in France has been handed down in the family so long that somebody's great grandfather was there when they were building the dadgone thing. Now, we don't build things like that anymore, but it's because we've lost that optimism about the future. When you start building for tomorrow, you restore optimism. Uh, in Bitcoin, we say fix the money, fix, fix the world, and that seems overly optimistic, but I don't think it is. In permaculture, we say all the world's problems can be solved in a garden. The person that plants is not thinking about today, they're thinking about tomorrow. Uh, the gentleman I mentioned, Patrick Lancaster on YouTube, an amazing journalist, he asked one lady right in the middle of absolute hell, why don't you evacuate? She said, where would we go? And we've already planted a vegetable garden. <sighs> now that'll hit you. When, you. when you really understand you got a person at the edge of what they can tolerate and they say, well, if I don't do this today, I won't have anything tomorrow. You restore that and you fix everything. And if people want to know more about what we do and learn how to do these things to build for their future, uh, the show is called the survivalpodcast.com, two-time podcast of the year award winner. Uh, episode 3100 will be recorded a little bit later today. I do live stream most of the shows uh, on YouTube and all the other platforms. And if you don't want to type out great big long the survivalpodcast.com, just go to tspc.co and check us out. And thank you so much, Dr. Paul, for having me on today. 
I want to tell you something. Um, I've interviewed well over a thousand people. Uh, almost always the subject of liberty comes up and my openers question for people so people can connect with the guest is how'd you get where you are? Start out with like you're hanging out in study hall and you, now you're working on building a cattle farm and you know, you're, you're selling beef directly to the customer or whatever. And there's always a Liberty angle in it. And I'd say 95% of them start out with, well, it was like late nineties or early two thousands. I found this video of Dr. Ron Paul. <laughs> and uh, so you, you've done a lot for us. Thank you. Well, Jack, thank you very much because you're on your way to reaching a lot of people. You have joined the remnant and the remnant is growing. And that to me is something that has existed and it's understandable. There's somebody always there to keep the principles of liberty alive. But I'm very glad that you came on the program today and I'm sure our audience uh, have appreciated it very much. And I want to thank our audience for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.